Hey, are you hiring? If you answered yes, let Zentegra Staffing help staff your IT people needs. Head over to Zentegra.com forward slash Zentegra Staffing to find out more. Zentegra Staffing, we can staff your IT people needs. Welcome to another edition of the Citrix Session with your hosts, Andy Whiteside and Bill Sutton, your source for all things Citrix. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 55. Yeah, that's right, 55 episodes. Uh, I guess, Bill, maybe we'll get to 57 prior to the end of uh, 2020, huh? Bill, I think you're my the favorite words of 2020. Bill, I think you're on mute. You're absolutely right. I was on yeah. mute. <laughs> I, I would I would almost say you did that on purpose, but I don't think people think we're that smart. No, um, I was going to say yeah, we'll probably end up 57. Yeah, probably 57, maybe 58 by the end of the year. No, that's great. Okay. Yeah, I guess 2020 hadn't been a total loss. No, and that's not true. 2020 is actually. Well, it's been a different kind of year. I guess we'll just leave it at that. Very different. Um, hey, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna say something to that comment real quick. You know, I've spent uh, 20 years of my life. Um, I don't want to say scaring people, but encouraging people to think about what if there was a pandemic? What if we couldn't go into offices? Uh, I guess from that perspective, 2020 might be the might be the culmination of all those conversations, and maybe things for some organizations start to move in the direction that uh, that we've always thought they should have been moving. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, I've used that example before, but never thought we'd actually be in one. You know, just like any other disaster type thing, you never think it's going to happen, and. Uh, you know, customers just need to be prepared for it. And some were and some weren't. Uh, I think the lesson is that we need to take all these these things we talk about from disaster or business continuity, we need to take them seriously and, and really properly plan for them. You know, I've got a, a panel I'm on this afternoon, uh, financial institutions talking about uh, business continuity. And, and my thing is don't plan for a pandemic, plan for half your employees, you know, needing a day or two or three a year to take care of their sick uh, relative or, you know, maybe they need to work from home because the plumber's coming or something. You, you plan for that. These pandemic things will will probably fall into place when the time comes. Um, that's what I, I saw a lot of organizations yeah, yeah. thought ahead that way. Or like things are, or like things are here today. Snow day. Snow day. It's not even Christmas time yet. I know it's not much snow, Christmas. so we just get the day off, anyways. But uh, plus, they're all virtual schools, so it yeah. doesn't matter. But the point is, snow days do happen. You know, I thought about that the other day with my uh, my kids um, and kids to come. They will there will probably be a never another snow day in schools. Because they'll get the day all they'll get the day from not going to school, but they'll probably still have some form of remote work. It'll never be quite the same. Yeah, possibly. That's right. Well, we're uh, we're joined with uh, Kevin Nardone from Citrix. Kevin, how's it going? Going really well, Andy. Bill, I have to I have to thank you. I think the on the mute joke came from the last session. I've definitely borrowed that as an icebreaker. Uh, as a quote for 2020 a couple times. So I appreciate that uh, that joke. I could borrow for uh, some calls and, and glad to be on with you all again. We we brought that up on a team call of the day and then we went out looking and there's lots of t-shirts that have been made for, you know, you're on mute 2020 or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to get one of those. 
Well, uh, Kevin. Uh, yeah. Sorry. Kevin, your, uh, your, your latest, greatest title, I've known you for about 10 years now-ish. Um, current title is what? Yep, I am a uh, senior enterprise architect with our customer success team. So I really focus on working with a bunch of members of our enterprise portfolio, really trying to help map uh, business objectives like Bill, like you talked about, like, hey, you know, how do I do business continuity properly? Or I want to institute a work from home, uh, aligning those with like the technical outcomes to make it a reality. So like, what's the order of operations I would need to accomplish to achieve that for my business? So like a lot of what I've been focusing on recently is really like, getting organizations to the cloud, because especially with the influx of people who haven't worked remotely, and then just the growth of virtualization at data center, a lot of organizations have been looking at a uh, cloud you know, particularly Microsoft Azure to kind of handle that influx and that need for like net new compute. But it's been fun. It's been a great, you know, decade so far and have a, had a chance to work, work with a lot of different customers and get a lot of different perspective. Yeah, Kevin, sometimes I'm envious of your job. It, it seems like a lot of fun if you're a, if you're a mechanic slash engineer slash consultant slash tinkerer at heart, it seems like a, it seems like a great job to have. It's a, a very nice way to say nerd, but yes, I'm definitely a nerd and <laughs> tinker at heart myself. So it's, it's fun. Yeah. Yeah, it's probably true. Um, but hey, I relate. So that's okay. <laughs> exactly, so, exactly. I think nerds are in, in 2020. You know, ever since the first movie came out, there's something, and I'm really stretching here, but uh, the nerd has found a new... Um, a new vernacular, I guess, maybe in uh, in modern day world, it's it's not what it used to be to be the nerd. It's uh, you know Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, Steve Wozniak. I can go on and on and on. Those uh, um, Zuckerberg, uh, those guys have made it cool to be the to be the nerd. So let's just embrace it. Exactly. I, I would I would argue that Mark Templeton made it cool to be kind of nerdy and trendy all at the same time. All right. Um, so this uh, this podcast we're covering today, this is part two of your series from Citrix Tips, which if people don't know what Citrix Tips are, it's a whole series of blogs that Citrix puts out, mostly from the consulting groups and the architect group uh, that really goes deep into some topics. And this is part two where we cover Citrix on Azure, Microsoft Azure, uh, enterprise scale landing zones. Uh, so, Kevin, you want to just give us a quick uh, recap of what we covered in uh, the part one blog and the part one podcast we did on that blog? Yeah, definitely. So like thinking of, um, you know, the cloud adoption framework, and it kind of like relates back to the, you know, virtual desktop handbook of like Citrix Your, in terms of like really on the Microsoft side, outlining a methodology to get like a, a net new cloud environment up and running, you know, how do you need to approach your business? Like, what are the governance parameters you need to think of? What are the networking parameters, you know, policy, you know, how do you monitor it effectively, kind of really walking through the build out process of like setting that and bringing it to reality. Uh, there's a, a section of the cloud adoption framework that really talks about bringing that, those concepts to enterprise scale. And if I have to kind of really summarize what enterprise scales means, it's thinking modularly. You know, how can I set up a foundation that if my business needs change, I've set up a way that that can grow in a structured way where I can like just add an additional module, a unit of scale, 
and then potentially accommodate you know net new business needs within my organization. Um, so in the first part, it was really walking through what are some of the design principles. So like what are the thought processes that you really need to take um, to think about enterprise scale Azure. Now, if I had to really kind of summarize that in a single sentence, is you want to design for success. You know, planning for success and planning for growth. You don't want to be in a scenario where, hey, you know, we have a thousand users today. This is all we're ever going to think about. You always want to ask yourself, like, what if we're successful and the business can pull more from this, this initiative? Um, what if we need to grow? What if we need to change? What if um, there's a net new use case or like a net new business need that comes in? Have we set up our modules in a way that we can tack that on to, to grow accordingly? So like planning for growth is planning for success. You always want to come into a project with optimism understanding that, hey, if we're successful here and we're asked by our leadership, like we got to do it again, you know, let's make sure we don't design ourselves into a corner. But a lot of the part one was really focusing on the thought process and the methodology and the principles of the enterprise uh, scale landing zone within Azure. And then thinking of like part two in the following parts, it really then gets more of a deep look into the critical design areas that make up an Azure design. Um, so thinking of your your AD, Azure AD tenants, how are you going to do identity? What's the, the management group and subscription setup you're going to set up? You know, your network topology, your monitoring structure, you know, how are you going to approach business continuity of Azure? So I know like Bill, you were mentioning, you know, business continuity within your data center, but even thinking cloud, and like, as you start operationalizing cloud, you want to make sure you follow the best practices around continuity and disaster recovery for that vendor. Um, so really kind of summarize what each design area is in the first part, at least at like a high level, give links to where to go, uh, just to summarize and then really focus on the first three around uh, your Azure AD tenants, you know, how, like in concepts of like dev and prod, uh, identity and access management, you know, what are the your identity solution, like what's going to be the impact on Citrix. So really try to walk through each area and how, from a Citrix perspective, what are the things you need to think about um, as you so Kevin, go through that Kevin, process? I think you're, uh, so So let's jump through this. Well, first of all, let me ask this question. Uh, as it relates to getting it right, is it worse today to get it wrong in a cloud error where you're doing IaaS as a service and other various services uh, than it was when you built it out in your own data center, or is it more malleable and more adjustable today than it was in the past where you were building it out in your data center? Is it is it better? Is it is it worse to get it wrong up front, or less worse to get it wrong up front in today's world? So, especially from an infrastructure standpoint, I think one of the best examples I've ever seen um, in terms of like how much more malleable uh, this is was one of my customers uh, like years ago. This is talking, you're talking like 2017, 2016, where a lot of these concepts were fairly new. Uh, we were getting ready to kick off a pilot of setting up, you know, Citrix within their Azure environment. They had two Azure regions that were up and running. Uh, their team accidentally provisioned what we needed in the wrong region within their portfolio. And then like the week prior, they were saying like, hey, wait, we gotta like set this all up in the other region. Uh, we're actually gonna start there. And they effectively like the same concept of like building a new data center. They did that like over a weekend before our team got started, just by going about, you know, running a series of ARM templates and building out the components we needed to get started. They effectively lifted and shifted regions over a weekend, which when you think of like that concept, like a decade ago, everyone would have thought you were absolutely insane. So like in that regard, like infrastructure, like uh, the way even like a pre approach scalability testing, 
I'm thinking of a data center world. It'd be like, hey, do all this data up front. You got to rack and stack this hardware. You got to make this big capital expense. You need to get it right. Even the way I'd approach scalability testing, it's like, hey, let me take a look at what Citrix recommends, like of initial recommendations. Let's start there just to get going. And then if we need to adjust over time, um, we can do that because we have the flexibility. So like, you don't have to let analysis paralysis of capacity stop you from moving forward. But to like kind of build off of what you're mentioning, Andy, in terms of like what's harder to change, thinking around uh, this first blog. So things around like how you do your Azure AD tenants, what are you doing from an identity and access management perspective? Like, did you set up your subscription governance appropriately within the organization? Um, setting up your process. And if you kind of don't do that correctly in a way where you're setting up every team within your organization to, to scale as a platform team, like the team that owns your Azure, those those challenges are much harder to change. Um, not to the same degree of like, hey, I didn't build a data center in the right place. But if you suddenly, you know, are lumping your Citrix team into a subscription and like, hey, like we can't grow. And then you need to like redesign your network for like a net new like hub and spoke subscription architecture. That's going to take a little bit of time. So it's like the planning needs to get shifted to different areas. But what's great is like once you've kind of done that initial governance planning, it's kind of off to the races. Yeah. So, but it sounds like from that, it's easier to 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 to, to lift and shift and, and revert now exactly. than it was because you have elasticity, you have these templates you can use, you can script things. I mean, you can't just go physically build another data center on the other side of the country if you need to do overnight. But um, so it sounds exactly. better. It sounds better, but still very, very, very important to get as much as you can right, knowing that you're never going to get it all never right up Exactly. It's, it's all about like um, the planning time is, I would say the planning time is that you can work much more agilely, like where you're kind of doing small increments of planning and moving forward and thinking though of like, the, if I have to summarize the overall purpose of this series, is like, hey, what are the things that you as a Citrix team or like you as a platform team who's like really trying to help your Citrix team set up for success, like what are the key areas you need to think about where you're asking the right questions? So like, for example, hey, you know, Azure team, like how are we setting up our Azure AD tenant setup from like a production and dev standpoint? Like, are we doing isolation there? Um, hey, Active Directory team, like what are we doing for identity? in public cloud, like how is that going to impact how we set up Citrix? So like really trying to empower, you know, our Citrix champions, you know, globally, like just to know, to speak Azure and kind of really understand like what are the things they need to think about. So that way when they're working with their platform team or, you know, working with, you know, Zentegra or like, you know, within their own teams, they know what to ask and they know what to look for. Yeah. Okay. So, it sounds like we covered a lot of that in part one, and then part two, we're talking about some of the key areas for uh, for design. Uh, and the first one you have here is enterprise enrollment with Azure AD tenants. Is that where we want to start with this this blog? Yep. Yeah, we can start. We can start there. And like thinking of um, and you know, I think each one of these little designers could probably have their own blog. But so, but what I really want to try to focus on was like, what's a recommendation that the cloud adoption framework has for that specific tenant, and really try to relate it to a Citrix concept. So for Azure AD and thinking of the concept of Citrix Cloud, you know, where do we integrate with Azure AD directly as a technology? Uh, it could be end user authentication as well as administration authentication. Now, one of the recommendations from the cloud adoption framework is you don't want to just start creating new Azure AD tenants 
like just where you have them all over your organization. Cause like subscriptions, like the bucket, which we'll get into a little bit later, uh, they can be mapped. You have multiple subscriptions rolling into a single tenant, but a subscription can't be split between multiple Azure AD tenants. So it's kind of like a one-to-one and like that design constr- uh, constraint on the Azure side also applies on the Citrix end. So we can only integrate like a Citrix cloud tenant into a single Azure AD tenant. So like thinking of your lines of demarcation, for example, between prod and non-prod, um, you want to ensure that your Citrix cloud accounts, like say, for example, if hey, we're, we're setting up, you know, 500 users and we want to have like a dev test tenant on the Citrix side, um, because on our Azure AD side, we actually have that same level of isolation. If we're rolling out uh, a new feature, a new capability, or like we want to be able to test something where like uh, like federating another identity provider to our Azure AD, so like using something like an Okta or a Ping, like you do a lot of that at the tenant level. So thinking of being able to roll those changes without in- impacting your masses, a lot of organizations look at similar levels of isolation. So at the Citrix side, we want to match that because uh, we're only able to plug into one Azure AD tenant as possible. So like thinking of like a that bucket of Azure management, one-to-one on the Citrix side. I have a bucket of Azure management. I need to make sure I align that bucket to like my Citrix account setup. And hey, Bill, let me, let me pause here and let you jump in. Do you have uh, comments or questions on that? Uh, well, I think the only thing that I would say is make sure that the, the listeners understand the tenant, and correct me if I'm wrong, Kevin, the tenant is really like the top level management framework, or is there something above yes. that? There, there's something about like you can get into like accounts and like enterprise agreements, but I would say like mostly from a like admin side, it's pretty much like where you're, yeah, the top level where you're working from an identity perspective. So think of it as like your Azure, your at your AD forest, right? It's like the same concept as your AD forest. Yeah, and I mean, like so thinking ahead. back to like on prem, yeah. Sorry. No, go ahead. Yeah, so thinking on prem, like you can't, you can like, hey, I have one. This is my forest, and I'm going to be able to set up other forests. Like on the Azure side, when it comes to that high level unit of management governance, Citrix can plug into like one. Each Citrix account can plug into one of those. But like thinking as well, again with cloud technology, you're not spinning up like backend servers and like databases to have additional units. So like additional, you know bring it back to like the on-prem example, like Forest, for for instance, mm-hmm. uh, you're kind of working with, you know, Microsoft or like working with our Citrix team and saying like, hey, I need to have two accounts or like two little bubbles of admin domain where I'm going to be working and kind of configuring my cloud infrastructure. I need two bubbles, one for prod, one for dev. And then you kind of make sure those align accordingly. Right. I see. Yeah. I don't know that we uh, could be wrong, but I don't know that we've run into customers with multiple tenants. We have run into many customers with multiple subscriptions under a single tenant. Uh, you know, yes, that's the most common. For, yeah. Subscription for, you know, prod um, server workloads and maybe a subscription for just the Citrix components and so forth. Yep. Yeah. And that's the most common single tenant infrastructure is, is tends to be where most organizations land. You just kind of get into where you may run into like a multiple tenant setup is if like someone did like an acquisition and that organization already had some form of Azure setup, or you're running into a scenario where the customer has fully from top down all the way to the bottom of the stack, like full isolation between their prod and dev, which at the Azure AD tenant level, 
Um, that's not necessarily required. You could potentially do that within like, say your subscriptions. Cause the one reason again, like from Microsoft side and like, you gotta have a really strong case and processes like around having multiple tenants. Cause that then funnels into how you're doing role-based access, how you're doing, you know, um, domain federation. So it's not like I'd say it's by no means like very common. So it's more to kind of let, you know, admins know if suddenly your Azure team is like kind of looking at potentially over-engineering, like there needs to be like a real strong case because like running, just like running multiple forests and you have to worry about all these domain trusts, running like a multiple Azure AD tenant infrastructure, um, it's going to add complexity that really needs to have the proper business justification behind it. Understood. Yeah. I heard a lot there, and um, you know it's it's definitely a different world. Kevin, what do you do for the average Citrix admin that has yet to truly get ramped up on Azure uh, and the conversations around subscriptions and tenants and uh, accounts? I mean, the account one's kind of easy, right? You have this account for your organization, and below that you have subscriptions and tenants. Um, I, I guess it's not to be solved here. I guess what I would tell people is what we find is that the Citrix control plane, especially the cloud stuff, uh, does a really good job of interacting with your tenant and you're, you're basically just plugging into it with your, you know, with your information and rolling from there, right? It, 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 it does a good job of yeah, helping yeah, exactly. spin up that what you need. Yeah, and like the Citrix cloud on the Azure in the Azure context is seen as like an application. So like thinking of like your platform team, so like who owns the Azure within an organization, like Citrix while we're delivering apps or like delivering desktops and like the concept of like Azure design, we are like an application that sits upon that platform. But thinking of like Citrix admins and like learning the basics, uh, Microsoft actually has a lot of great free training that cover some of these key concepts, like, I mean, something you could probably maybe go through in like four to five hours of an e-learning course um, around like creating an enterprise scale architecture. I highly recommend, and you don't have to be an expert, but and that, there's like on the Citrix education side, we have like Citrix and Azure courses that cover some of the basics, but there's like so much free learning content out there um, that at least knowing like what some of these terms are, it's just going to help you be that much more effective during the design process. Cause like, it's now your, your hypervisor, it's now your data center. You do want to have at least on some understanding of like the basics of how it runs or at least what the concepts are. And I would encourage people, if you don't know about uh, Microsoft channel nine, uh, just, just Google that or maybe if, if you're feeling very Microsoft friendly, being it. Um, but there's a lot of really good videos and um, presentations out on channel nine that, uh, pick up a lot from on the Microsoft side. Okay, um, your next section here, Kevin, talks about identity and access management and, and that being a critical design consideration. Uh, do you want to walk us through what you have here? Yep, definitely. This gets a little bit into like kind of a core prereq. Um, Citrix today, uh, especially when it comes to like the full virtual app and desktop service, uh, we require like some form of directory. And like one of the more common misconceptions that uh, customers tend to have, especially thinking of Azure, that like Azure AD in itself is like also a full directory service where I'm applying policies, I have things like Kerberos and uh, Azure AD is predominantly like an identity as a service um, for the most part. 
So, but like on the Citrix side, we still need some form of directory for functionality. So like the type of component that you integrate with on the Azure side is going to impact, you know, what Citrix functionality is available. And this is mostly between like using like the full cloud service of like Azure AD directory services, which kind of domain service, I mean, which kind of covers like the things like policy and like I have, you know, what, what looks like a standard active directory domain it kind of takes like the best of Azure AD where you have like an identity and now my domain itself is also getting so, managed uh, Kevin, with like a Kevin, look, domain controller and things along those lines. So you've got a graph here and a chart and the first column is functionality. Second column is Azure AD. The third column is Azure AD DS, which I assume means directory services and then full AD and Azure. Uh, if I have just Azure AD, um, you know, there's lots of things on here that are checked and not checked. What's my biggest shortcoming if I just have Azure AD and I don't have a full Active Directory service to, you know, to implement and, man- and integrate with and manage maybe the machine accounts? What, what's the biggest misnomer in uh, just having Azure AD and implementing Citrix Virtual App and Desktop Service? So the, the biggest thing is um, you, you, you can't well, just with Azure AD only, um, the only thing you can really use is virtual app and desktop standard, which is like you're pretty much like having your own isolated bubble of machines. And like thinking of like most organizations, especially when you look at cloud, I have applications, I have existing infrastructure, I have like an existing some form of domain already. So like being able to like bring that environment in to kind of have that state where you're moving towards that cloud solution is like very, very challenging because there's no way to relate what you're doing to current state. And like that typically tends to be where people look at like the full AD in Azure. And, and that's where I honestly, I think uh, 10 out of 10 deployments, I would say like, I, I haven't seen anyone use like just the cloud services. So like Azure AD or Azure AD DS and meet all of their needs, um, mm-hmm. at least within like an enterprise scale. Now, like as you kind of so, look towards like, you know, smaller organizations, smaller IT shops, I might want to just run like a net new business and I'm going to start like all cloud. Uh, that's a little bit different, but the biggest things is like the way you apply policies in an Azure AD only context, like that whole framework is very much like not there. So um, Kevin, being able to use like, Kevin, uh, sorry, go for it. Maybe it makes sense to, okay, the difference between Azure AD and Azure AD DS, what's, what's, if you were just talking to someone, what would be the main thing you'd point out as being the difference between those two? Uh, Azure AD is just uh, an identity, whereas Azure AD DS is really like a true domain, like with okay. policy control, like governance, like that would be like so, the main, I'd say the, so per, then, the primary difference. So then the next thing you have here is full AD in Azure, and that's where you actually spin up Windows VMs in a normal Active Directory environment in on VMs inside of Azure, right? Is that your third option here? Yep. Yeah. So that would be like actually setting up infrastructure as a service, you know, building domain controllers, going into like AD sites and services and like extending your domain into Azure. Um, Now the main difference, so you kind of said like, what's the main difference with Azure AD and Azure AD DS. Now, like what's the main difference between Azure AD DS and like a full AD domain. A lot of it sits around being able to extend your domain schema. Um, as well as like managed certificate services. 
So like on the Citrix side, especially looking at capabilities like Citrix federated authentication service, I want to translate a SAML assertion or FIDO token and like just something that's not normally just ingested by Windows for like for a password. I want to translate that into full single sign-on into my Windows workload. Uh, you need certificate services on the Citrix side and being a, unable to like modify core templates or things along those lines in the cloud service, Azure AD DS eliminates the ability to use that capability compared to full AD. Um, so, so like if your organization is looking at doing like full SSO from like an Okta or ping and federating that out to Azure, like you won't be able to accomplish what you need from an SSO single sign-on standpoint. So Bill, where does where does uh, Azure AD Connect kick kick into this? Is it part of number one and number two or part of number three? Generally speaking. So in that case, yeah. we'd have our AD on-prem and we would have AD Connect and that would connect to domain controllers in Azure versus just extending our domain into Azure? How, what's, what's the what Azure AD Connect is essentially is allowing, is, is, a, is enabling the account, the Azure AD account to have some sort of awareness of the associated account in the customer's active directory. Is that correct, Kevin? Yep. Yeah. Azure AD Connect, what it does is it replicates the objects from your, your, so like thinking of Azure AD, that's like an identity. Now users also going to have like a standard AD identity, like going, maybe I'm like authenticating into a legacy app because Azure AD overall is an identity as a service. What Azure AD Connect does is it takes those users, those groups, those objects in your on-premise environment and it synchronizes them to your Azure AD. Right, so like so. thinking of like how I want to authenticate maybe to Office 365 using the same like username and password I have. So, so Kevin, if it I could synchronizes come, those objects. If, if I could comment real quick, I think it's actually the opposite of what you said, Bill. I think Azure, Azure AD Connect allows you to synchronize that identity up into Azure AD or Azure AD DS. Um, I think that's how you get those identities out to those cloud services. Versus having full exactly. Azure AD, where you would just uh, you would just replicate as if it was part of your you know, part of your network, part of your AD environment. Yeah, this is this is an area that I think a lot of customers get confused on, and we've had a couple of instances where the customer on their own, when they were setting everything up, and this goes back to your statement about proper planning, Kevin. Uh, they set up Azure AD DS, uh, and then they wanted single sign-on from a Citrix application, which would require FAS which you can't do with Azure AD DS, right? Exactly. Yeah. So and it would give you single sign-on. It gives you single sign-on for, oh, sorry. Go to full AD, right? It's very confusing, I think. Yeah. So, so Bill, tell the whole story, no, right? We were, on, we were on a call. We, we were on a call Friday, Kevin, and, and we were trying to ask some of these questions and make sure that the customer understood what it was they were telling us they understood. And, and they literally hung up on us because they, they got mad at us for asking all these questions. But it's a very confusing space. Um, yeah, and customer just hung up on us because they just didn't want to explain to us so that we could understand what they knew or didn't know. Um, it, was yeah. a, it was an interesting Friday afternoon call. <laughs> so let me, let me ask a question because I would be one of these people that would get confused with the devil and the details on this. So let me take myself back a year ago. I'm managing an IT department. I got my daily duties uh, that, I'm, that I'm dealing with, support, fires, yada, yada, yada but I've got to approach an Azure project and I want to do what Kevin's saying. I want to get out in front of this thing and make sure that the eyes are 
dotted in the T's or crossed because the other thing I'm thinking about this conversation is the cost that goes into this. And I'm sure we've all had customers that have crossed this bridge and they get on the other side and they go, wait a minute, the cost of this is not what I expected. So what would be some material that you could provide to some administrators to answer some of these questions so that before you, you know, piss the customer off by asking all these things they don't know, you could say, hey, here's some documentation that we can provide you up front so that you understand the conversation that we're having. Hey, guys, I, I have a quick comment for Ben on this one. So, Ben, I, I know your old environment, right? And I don't know if you were on when Kevin first started talking about this or not, but Kevin alluded to the fact that if you really want all that full integrated Citrix experience that you've known and loved, which your organization, which was running Citrix for over a decade or roughly a decade, uh, was going to want and need, um, you're going to be in the far right-hand column because the first two, they're not a true active directory with all the policy management pieces. So I'll let Kevin obviously comment on this, but knowing your old environment and all the intricacies you guys had, you're going to need that third column in order to keep keep managing it the way you yep. had been managing it. Yeah, see, like what's interesting for me is you talk, you know, Kevin talked about companies that are cloud-born. And some of those could go to Azure AD, but I see the big sticking point here is no domain. Can't do any domain joins, which is going to kill some of the authentication with some of the legacy apps. So uh, this is all very interesting, but I kind of sit in the same boat as I get confused very quickly by some of the devil that are in the details here. Yeah. yeah. Like Azure AD only would work if you were predominantly like 100% like web app infrastructure only, right? Because yeah. like thinking again of like taking Azure AD and bringing that concept uh, to like how we integrate with it from like a Citrix cloud perspective is like Azure AD sees us as like an an enterprise application within the app portfolio. We kind of do like a registration with our application to like being able to access the Azure Graph API. So like pull information. So like that's kind of where like if you're cloud only, like I'm web only, like which is like I would say very, very few organizations, um, you do need some form of domain service to like have the authentication with that like standard like thick apps and like you're exactly right Ben like the devil's kind of in the details um, especially around like Azure AD uh, domain service I mean Azure yeah, which is like kind of where I, you get domain controllers and they're managed by Azure you kind of lose some of that like extensibility of the, that domain because it's fully controlled as a service and there's got to be some sort of standardization so like something like a domain there's just it's just such a it's like kind of like the brain of your overall or heart of your overall environment in terms of like who's everybody how are they getting in how am i applying policies like what like where are they where are they based and like i tend to see you know i'd say like i said like 10 out of 10 people are looking at doing like full ad in azure Again, unless you're like kind of like a net new business. <laughs> yeah. So, hey, guys, let me let me try this real quick. So if you're cloud born and you're mostly just web apps or you're just web apps, you got a chance of doing Azure AD only. Um, or if you're if you're cloud born uh, or sorry, or you have this existing um, Active Directory environment, you could use uh, Azure AD Connect and replicate up to Azure AD. That way you could do the cloud stuff as well as your traditional on-prem solution. If you're cloud-born and you need that uh, robust Windows environment, you're probably going to need Azure AD directory services. You could also have um, Azure AD Connect. Uh, and then if, if you're just legacy like you guys were, Ben, you're going to need full Azure AD 
or excuse me, full AD in Azure, very different way to say it, but more appropriately, um, at least for now, until you move to a world where you can slowly retire those Windows domain controller servers. Kevin, that's pretty close to accurate? Yeah, I mean, there's, I think, a couple limitations on the Azure AD domain service side that like a, the ability to modify schema, et cetera, that even if um, you start moving everything to the cloud, like just not having, because like every app, I mean, even outside of Citrix, like um, consumes that domain service differently. So like being able to even like, thinking like Citrix aside, there's a lot of decisions that need to be made across your application portfolio around compatibility for those cloud-based services. So I would say, like I like I, like I mentioned before, if you have a lot of if you're on prem today and there's a lot of complexity in your app portfolio, and like even Citrix aside, like this is a pretty significant decision in terms of how you approach your domain service as you look towards Azure. So like getting back to what I mentioned before, Andy, around governance planning and like that kind of being more of part of the planning process. Um, Citrix, we need a domain to integrate. So like you're probably looking at an Apple AD in Azure or an Azure AD domain service, but like the type of domain service you use is probably gonna really, you're gonna wanna work with all of your app partners, not just Citrix to ensure compatibility with those services. Well guys, I think we've done a lot to cover this topic. Uh, Bill and Ben, any additional comments, questions you wanna have with this while we got Kevin on this particular topic around identity? Great no. No, this is a com- this is a conversation that comes up a lot. Though. Well, Ben, what I would tell you is, uh, and maybe you knew Kevin before this, but but Kevin's a uh, great resource on your extended team. Obviously, there's thousands of people at Citrix you could possibly talk to, but um, Kevin Ardon, this question comes up. You you got a rock star you can point customers to, and uh, I'm sure to be valuable. Um, next section talks about uh, management group and subscription organization. Kevin, what in the heck are we talking about here? Kevin, uh, you're on mute. 2020. Oh, I'm on mute. 2020. <laughs> um, quarter of the year. So thinking of, again, like that top-level architecture, your Azure, Azure AD tenant, Within that, you have the concept of like subscriptions. So thinking of um, the subscription at like the you know, highest level, it's a unit of scale. It's my, um, you know, my Zen server in my my Citrix Zen server resource pool, or like your vCenter, and like that's kind of really the bucket where you're managing most of your Azure resources. Now, like typically today, like especially as like Azure has grown and like the scale of Azure deployments have grown, uh, Microsoft created the concept of a management group where I can have a bundle of subscriptions all rolling up under the same management structure. So that way you can apply things like policies, role-based access control, and like overall governance and like tagging at that management group level to have it then extrapolate down into all of your buckets, your resource pools, your vCenters, et cetera, or like quote unquote, like your subscription all into that same umbrella so you can manage it a little bit more effectively. So looking at like Citrix, especially enterprise scale, so you're talking thousands of machines, we're starting to see like more organizations look at a management group for Citrix, to, especially to like get what would be my bucket, my resource pool for my Citrix infrastructure. So things like your cloud connectors, you know, file services for profiles, Azure monitoring tools, 
uh, et cetera, in like a shared service subscription. And then you would have like workloads, for example, like all my VDI or like my multi-session Win 10 using like the Citrix and WVD integrations or just like your 2016, 2019 servers, you would have workloads. So you're kind of like isolating your resource pools like you would in an on-prem scenario, but now it's like using cloud governance concepts. Yeah, I guess I should, uh, I would be remiss if I didn't bring this up, but Pete Downing, our CTO, he, he does a he does a whole Citrix on Azure um, workshop and a lot of this subscription and, um, and some of these prereqs are, are really deep dives part of these uh, these workshops. So check out Zintegra.com forward slash events. But a lot of this you can see in firsthand real practice and, and Pete does a really good job presenting this content as well. Bill, thoughts, questions on the subscription conversation here? This is pretty consistent with what we see in most cases, um, particularly in the subscription or organization, like I mentioned earlier, uh, where they'll set up a separate subscription for the Citrix workloads versus production server workloads and so forth. Um, a lot of that, to, to Kevin's point in this article, is driven by uh, by the threshold values in Azure, but some of it's just simply organizational separation, management separation. It's pretty common in particularly larger, particularly in larger organizations where we see that see that happening. Yeah. And this is great for me to hear some these conversations because I've, I've been begging people to carve out their Citrix environments away from everything else um, for a bunch of years and having partially for political reasons, just in case you hire a different team to go manage and be responsible for that. Go ahead, Kevin. Yeah. And like Andy, I think that's a great point too. And like thinking of like what Citrix does too, and especially like the scale of machines that you can potentially drive in like into an Azure environment and like thinking of like resources, you know, Microsoft's done a great job at improving things like cores per subscription, VMs per subscription, but like what tend people tend to think about as well is like, that's like a public cloud infrastructure, everything you're controlling, whether it be a power on a, you know, building a machine, you're hitting APIs and those APIs are hitting against like a shared infrastructure that, you know, is managing a whole data center, right? So like even just like the API calls you could make to like manage and throttle and set up machines, those have limits as well. And like that tends to be actually the bottleneck, especially for customers that lump in, you know, large sets of business units into the same subscription. Hey, wait, we have 10,000 cores we can use. Like we're, you know, only a, you know, we're a pretty small shop, 500 people. But then like next thing you know, like you have 500 VDI and you're trying to like power them all on while someone's like reading and writing to a bunch of PaaS services for like the web backend that's like running your company. Um, that's kind of where like the, the bottleneck really tends to show like pretty significantly is those API reads and writes because virtual machines in Azure, those are controlled at the subscription level rather than the service principle, which is like a service account that integrates with Azure. So like that's actually one of the main reasons why we say, Hey, you're managing capacity, just power on like, you know, the user's experience when they start their desktop to like your ability for an admin to push out an emergency update and like push out a new VHD to their catalogs. Like that is impacted all by those APIs. So if you have a whole team that's just like soaking those API calls, like that's just going to detriment your Citrix environment. So I would say like most cases you want a dedicated subscription for Citrix, just like you wouldn't bundle in all of your critical infrastructure into like one single resource pool on like Zen server, mainly because it's going to 
you know, stress your hypervisor management or like one vCenter, it's like the same concept. Like you wouldn't throw all of your AD domain controllers on like the same set of servers that are running like a SAP database backend. Like that is like way too many eggs in one basket. Um, so Kevin, so like you Kevin, have to, yeah. you've been working with large customers for a long time now. The, the real world is the SMB and commercial. They do that all the time, but you're absolutely right. They should not do that. Yeah. And it gets into like, um, like even the SMB commercial world as well. And like, the, it's a, it's a unit of measurement. You don't have to max it out, but it well, gets into like the what ifs, right? So like, what if suddenly, you know, we're so successful, we want to have everyone work from home, even like a 500 user shop, like 500 VDI, like that's still a lot of machines. What you're really saying now though, is the cloud has made it more realistic that you can carve it off. Versus exactly. building out different clusters of hard, hardware in your data centers, which is story. I mean, Ben, exactly. ben ran a shop, uh, I don't know, but two years ago, Ben, you were running a shop and Citrix was lumped in with everything else. Not because you wanted it lumped in there. It's just because it was uh, cost effective to buy it all and, and run it all on the same platform. Tell me if I'm wrong there. No, you're correct. But I, I also see, and, and I want to ask Kevin this, these management groups could also help you with some cybersecurity, couldn't it? Oh, Kevin, speechless. <laughs> Kevin, we lose um, you? Yeah, exactly. No, I'm, I'm here. Exactly, Ben. Um, I just kind of stumbled over my words, and I think I double-muted myself. But um, <laughs> I agree with you, Ben, because one of the cool things about, like, the managements and the subscriptions is, like, Azure policy. Uh, you can actually automate things like uh, compliance or security parameters um, against all the objects within that group or that subscription. And, like, Andy, I think you hit the nail on the head as well. And it's uh, kind of where my, like, enterprise blinders sometimes, like, have me forget. But, like, from a uh, an SMB or commercial shop, like, yeah, resource pools and, like, separating clusters, like, on-prem, incredibly expensive and it tends to be cost prohibitive. But one of the cool things about Azure, like creating new subscriptions, it, there's no like cost associated with like creating these lines of demarcation at like a management level like they are on-prem. So like thinking about like, hey, what are some of the challenges we've run into just from like an internal IT government governance within our small, our smaller shop? Like, can we course correct that? Because now there's no cost associated with creating that line of demarcation because I can create, you know, two subscriptions, maybe one for my core shared services for my business. So like my full AD that's on Azure, uh, maybe like a couple, like a, a critical like backend or like something used by HR and then like, Hey, my VDI or my virtualized applications, you know, we're going to provision potentially 20, 30, 40, hundred VMs. Let's have that be within its own subscription so that we can kind of grow it without impacting our core set of shared services. And, because you're going to have VMs provisioned, like let's why don't we separate the line of demarcation, one to mitigate administrative risk, as well as you know allow your business to potentially scale better, especially if you're successful. And cost buckets. Yep, and cost buckets exactly. Subscriptions are also the primary area where Microsoft does billing. Um, so doing like the lines of demarcation at the subscription level also makes like internal things like internal chargeback or like, hey, this subscription goes to like this cost center for like finance versus security versus like the SAP team, et cetera. Um, it also drives a lot of that as well. So like while it does a lot with scale and like it gets into um, the blog gets into like key questions, especially if you talk about like multi-subscription architectures for Citrix, um, like what, like where does it start to make sense to kind of have planning for a multi-subscription model rather than a single 
Citrix subscription model. So like I have potentially two or three Citrix buckets in a management group um, based on like maybe how my server and client teams are completely different groups, completely different managers. You know, maybe we should have all rolling into the Citrix management group subscriptions that drive, you know, Windows 10 experiences and subscriptions that drive server-based experiences. Um, so kind of a lot of like leading questions and things along those lines, uh, just to kind of help teams know that, hey, I don't want to be the victim of my own success. I want to establish a process that if I ever need to have a second subscription for Citrix, like have I planned accordingly for that uh, within my organization? You know, I, I hear all this and as a you know consultant or someone who leads a consulting practice, uh, one, I think customers need to bring in another third party just for validation, uh, maybe a fourth party if you think about Citrix and uh, another practice. Uh, at the same time, <laughs> this is probably more just as much an accurate statement. Uh, just in case you get it wrong, you want that third party in there so that you have validation documentation that you know good decisions, good conversations were had, and so be it. We got it wrong. Uh, now we're going to adjust, and okay, look, we'll, we got someone else to blame a little bit. I, you know, as much as um, as much as you try to get things right, I think there's some reality in having that, uh, having those uh, more holistic conversations with third and fourth parties, and extremely important. You don't. What, what I'm getting at is, don't try to make this decision all by yourself, because you know, at that point, you're the only one to blame, and chances are you're going to get it wrong. Andy, I could uh, I could see a a real good play for a run book of some sort here. Like what I'm envisioning is, you go to talk to a customer and you know they're right on the cusp of going into this cloud journey. You kind of have a, a a workbook with them that kind of guides them through the process, you know. And and as part of that work workbook is links to things that answer, you know. Like I'm sitting here. What's the difference between a subscription, a tenant, and resource locations? You know, and so you kind of have a little little mark there that goes here, learn about this, learn about that. And so that as you're trying to take the customer through the process, you're also giving them things that's educating them on the things they don't know. Going back to your point, you don't want to make a customer mad by asking them a bunch of questions that they're not prepared to answer. So I see a play here for, you know, a, a nice workbook of some sort that would kind of guide the process and also help the sales process and the implementation process. Yeah, we, we do that today with a, a product called Turbonomics. Uh, so we run Turbonomics and we talk the customer through what it's collecting and then what the analysis is. And it essentially then creates a, not necessarily a run book, but it creates a next step conversation on the data that was collected. So kind of like what you're talking about, but definitely, definitely an opportunity to gain, you know, gain the, um, the insight into what a tool like this can capture uh, and then make good decisions and still know you might get it wrong, but it won't be because you didn't do your due diligence. So, Kevin, uh, I think we've covered this. As, we pro as you pointed out earlier in the blog, we probably could talk about a couple uh, bullets that you had there probably for a whole blog all by themselves. But I think we're to the end here, and, and we're out, out of time for one thing. But I guess next, uh, next up is your fourth uh, – excuse me, third, third part of this series. What are you going to cover there? Yeah, so in the third part of the series, you know, going from, like, identity and, like, governance, we kind of get into a little bit more of, like, bringing it into more of the fruition and kind of double-clicking into – how do I put the right components in those subscriptions? So like, what do I need to do to ensure my VMs are following the right business continuity and disaster recovery configurations? How can I use policy to actually drive the compliance I need from a security perspective, or even just the operational barriers you wanna put um, just from like general human potentially error 
uh, within those subscriptions as well. And then thinking of those concepts and like bringing it to like workload automation and like integrating potentially DevOps processes with machine creation services. So using the best of Azure tools and the best of Citrix tools to really drive operational efficiency is what we cover in the next blog. Okay, great. Well, I guess we don't have to ask you what's up next because you're going to be working on that blog and, and we'll be anxiously awaiting. I'll, I'll get a, uh, after I get off this session, we'll get you back on the calendar. I guess we should, uh, early, early 2021, you'll be ready to talk about that blog, right? You'll be out and socialize. Yep. Yeah. I love to, uh, love to talk about it. Um, I think it's actually published at the time of this, uh, we're setting up this podcast so those can like check it out and we can also dig deeper into the third. And uh, I look forward to doing this with you all again. Okay. Yeah. We'll put you on the next open slot here. Uh, Ben, anything before we let you go? No, this was great, man. I learned a lot today as usual when I'm an attendee of these podcasts and I always appreciate you including me in the in the event here, Kevin, it was good meeting you. Lots of awesome knowledge here, and uh, just goes back to lots of books to read on the shelf. Just another one I got to get off the shelf and catch up to speed on. Yeah, that's no hidden fact, no hidden secret here. That um, what well, is a fact? It's not a hidden secret. That part of the reason why Bill and I started this just so we could get people like Kevin on and, and learn from them. Um, you know, and it's now it's applying to Ben as well. Bill, anything for you before we let you go? I'm just curious if Kevin's read the entire 1,800-page uh, cloud adoption framework from Microsoft. Twice. I would say I've uh, read chunks of it, not the whole thing. <laughs> I, I wish I had that time. Um, kind of time, yeah. No, it's quite comprehensive for sure. Um, it's very interesting uh, data out there. So definitely something people should yes. check out as they're getting into uh, into you know building out their their cloud environments. Kevin, you yeah, know what RT inspiring Azure Architect you should check it out for sure. Exactly. Kevin, you know what RTFM stands for? RTFM. RTFM. No, so uh, Romeo R T. So Romeo Tango uh, Foxtrot uh, Mot- uh, no, Motel. Mike. Wow. Uh, Mike, Mike, um, RTFM. So uh, the old guys in this industry, back when the the guides were small enough where you could actually read them as if they were a book. Uh, <laughs> yeah, they had a they had a uh, saying uh, how you were a consultant in the IT space was just RTFM, uh, read the freaking manual. Um, <laughs> those days are long gone. That's why we do this podcast. And right blog. Yeah, no, there's a lot more to uh, a lot more to it. And then, uh, unfortunately, it's not every manual covers everything. But I think that's where, uh, like you covered before, Andy, like having a partner, especially you know, a partner like Vintegra, where you cover not just Citrix but also the ecosystem of end user compute between you know Microsoft tools like Turbonomics to like really drive success within an organization. So like taking that manual that like me as an admin i can like learn on my own time but then learning from the experience of like someone within your organization i think that's a lot you know great stuff that you all bring to the table like you mentioned before i had a funny conversation with someone this morning i asked him if they had read the manual and their response was i didn't have i don't have time to read the manual i didn't read the manual but what they didn't know that i knew that was their question was in the first chapter of the manual they had to get through the first (laughs) chapter which to be honest, in most cases, there's a lot you get out of the first couple of chapters of, I don't want to say a manual, but a yeah. book on a topic uh, that can set you apart from everybody else. Just, just okay, don't RTFM, RTFM the first chapter or two. Uh, yeah, kind of the, the overview. Yeah. 
Read the cliff notes. And I think that now too, it's also like videos on a, like there's just so much videos too and like e-learning and it's like watch the like WTFV or something. <laughs> watch the, watch the video. Yeah. But um, yeah. But yeah, thank you all very much for having me and looking forward to the next uh, session. Absolutely. Hey, Ben, Bill, thanks for joining. Kevin, we'll do it again. I'll get you on the calendar here in just a few minutes. Perfect. Thanks, Andy. Talk to you all soon. Thanks, Kevin. Thank you for listening to the Citrix Session with your hosts, Andy Whiteside and Bill Sutton. A special thanks to our guest for attending today's podcast. Podcast produced by Pete Downing. For any input, or if you'd like to be a part of our podcast, please email us at info at zentegra.com. Please head over to zentegra.com forward slash podcast to listen to all podcasts in this series. This podcast is copyrighted by Zentegra LLC. Thank you.